Our scripture reading today will be from uh, Mark 10, 13 through 16. In the Bibles in the pews, the regular print is 1058 page. And if it's a large print, it'll be on 1570. And if you have a mobile device, phone, iPad, you're welcome to use it. We are thankful for each of our guests coming and being with us today. And we hope you have a good day and enjoy the service this morning. What matters most? People and kids. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have Him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, He was indignant, And He said to them, Let the little children come to Me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And He took the children in His arms, put His hands on them, and blessed them. All the chairpersons joke that James always gets off easiest on the Scripture readings. <laughs> he got an easy one today too. But um, You know, sometimes we do read pretty lengthy Scriptures. And, uh, but I, I kind of feel like we've worked up to it. And I think it's a pretty neat thing. I think it ought to be central to what a church does. If you don't open God's Word as a community, you know, and just... Spend some time in it. That was a, a big chunk of what they did as an early church as they would take letters like they got from the Apostle Paul or, or they would you know, recite the creeds that they had, the things that they had to, that reminded them of what Jesus had done, the gospel. Uh, those things were near and dear to them and they spent a lot of time just sharing that. You know, when an apostle sent a letter to a church, they just read the whole thing, I would assume, <laughs> Right? And, uh, and so we, have, we struggle with a, with a whole chapter sometimes of it, you know, but uh, much less a whole thing. But I think it's neat that we're, we're growing in that, and, and thank you all for, um, we want to, you know, make Scripture an important part of what we're doing here for sure. And who knows, maybe that'll show up as one of these values here before long. And we're in this series, What Matters Most, talking about values of a church, and uh, it's been about two years since I showed up here. Uh, it's hard to believe, but... But we're going to kind of just dive into talking a little bit about church. Before I get in too far, though, let me uh, tell you uh, just a couple of things. One, I'm going to kind of jet out of here. I jetted in at the last minute. I'm going to jet out of here right after I get done preaching, pretty much. Julie's homesick uh, of all days, Mother's Day. She woke up with a stomach virus and has been sick all weekend. But And now Peter has it, too. So I left... A sick baby with a sick wife for as little time as possible. I'm going to try and rush home. Uh, no one ought to have to do that ever, much less on Mother's Day. But uh, So that's what's happening there. And if you see some things different in the schedule or whatever, uh, that's, that's the difference. But um, one thing, oh, which by the way, mothers, I have newfound appreciation as yesterday I was a single dad taking care of a mother and, uh, and a fussy baby and a, oh boy, and a toddler. So <clears throat> said, so how do you do this again? <laughs> uh, t-shirt order forms. Just to, if you weren't here last week, I'll mention we're getting some Cypress Street t-shirts ordered. And if you would like some before uh, the church picnic on May 22nd, 
then today's probably we need your order today. So, and we also are asking that uh, that your money come in with the order, so we make sure we have enough to cover the order when we place it. But you can find information about it and all on here. And if you have questions about it, uh, you can check with Nick afterwards. He's going to hang out back there in the foyer and and take your orders. And so uh, he will take care of them and then put them in a safe place for us. And I'll find them when I get back, hopefully tomorrow when everybody's well, right? <laughs> but as soon as possible. So um, t-shirt orders. I wanted to mention that before I don't get to. So, okay, let's dive in here. We are talking about uh, people and kids. And, uh, but just to kind of recap where we've been, you know, values are an important thing to an organization, just like they're an important thing to an individual and to a family. And uh, basically we believe that if uh, when you value what matters most, that means you're going to do what matters most. That our values affect our actions. And what a person in an organization values shows up in what they do. If you value the wrong things, then you end up doing the wrong things. And it doesn't even have to be something that's necessarily a, like an evil thing that you're valuing. But just if it's not the best things that you're placing the highest priorities on, then you can't expect to be doing the best things. Uh, you see this in organizations. I was thinking about uh, last last week we talked about Chick Fil A, but another good example is Amazon.com. If any of you use it, their customer service they that's one of their big values is they want to have the best customer service in the world or something like that is how they say it. But uh, but if you ever have to call them up, I mean I can't vouch for everyone's experience, but I've heard from a few folks, myself included, that on the rare occasions where something goes wrong and you have to call customer service. They just bend over backwards for you. They make it so easy compared to what you're used to, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's not even that outstanding. It's just we're used to this terrible customer service nowadays. And so it's so refreshing. But you can tell that doesn't just happen by accident, right? They heated that value up over and over to their employees. And, and now that's something that you see pour out of their life. And similar, similarly, churches that you know, place a high value on on outreach, you can tell. Places that, that place a high value on, on fellowship, well, you can tell. You know, and the things that they value affect what they do. So we're going to try and, and just heat up a few, eight values over the course of this series. Uh, these are not handed down from the mountain, like we said. They're not coming down on stone tablets. Uh, but... You know, you know, doubtless you could think of some that could go on this list. But if we did 100, then we wouldn't really be accomplishing much, right? So we're just going to look at eight in particular. And last week we looked at the first two. Jesus matters here. Ought to, right? That's a... Duh. <laughs> it should be kind of obvious. But, but we still, we talked about how, you know, when you make everything about Jesus, when He's the center of what you're doing... When he's the number one value, then necessarily it's not about us. You know, it's about Jesus. It's not about us. It can't be about what we want and what we prefer and what we like when it's about Jesus first and foremost. We also talked about prayer. That prayer matters here and that we have to pray as though the whole hope of the world, of humanity, is on the line. Because it is. And prayer is powerful because it's talking to the one who has the power that matters most. And so sometimes, you know, churches get so caught up trying to 
you know, institute programs and do things that, that are going to you know, have kingdom success and forget to start with prayer, first and foremost. That, I mean, how much can we accomplish by our own efforts? I mean, we might be able to, if we worked hard enough and with enough talented people, do something that, that people would be impressed by. But we're not even trying to impress people, right? We want to impress God, and so we're going to need God-sized power, and so we're going to need to pray. And that brings us into today, the next two, with people and with kids. When I started into ministry, my dad gave me this little, it was kind of like a sticky note, but it was on my computer, and he put it on there for me, and I thought it was kind of odd at the time, and then he explained it a little bit, and it made more sense, and then I ended up really liking it and kind of internalizing it, but this is all it said. Time slash flex. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> but as he kind of shared about what he, this was something that meant something to him that he'd kind of come up with to remind himself, I guess. But as a, as a teacher, uh, he was a special ed teacher and, and then he moved into a gifted program and, and, and just kind of, it was a different sort of teaching role. And so sometimes people would take advantage of his maybe slightly more flexible schedule and assume that he had all the time in the world, you know, and call on him to do this or that or the other. He said he kind of just learned to be flexible with his time, and if someone walked in and needed something, it always was better to prioritize the person than it was his schedule and his stuff that he needed done. And so he just learned to do that, and as a result, he was a very much loved member of that staff at that church, at that school. And so this was something that I think he probably saw that I needed because I'm kind of a, a schedule guy and a, a plan guy and a, I've got my lists and I'm going, you know. And, <laughs> and so I needed a reminder at, at the beginning, you know, years ago as I started into ministry that, you know, people are going to walk into your office some days, people are going to call, people are going to have stuff going on that's going to interrupt your agenda, you know. And you've got to prioritize the people over the stuff. And so that's been really good for me, and, and I've learned from other people who do a good job with that, and, and I'm no, by no means is it something that I've stopped trying to work on or, or that I'm awesome at by now, but I can tell you that now instead of someone walking into my office while I'm in the middle of something being a, a nuisance to me, I actually, it's a welcome, and most of the time I enjoy it, <laughs> all right? So, uh, so I've come a long ways on that, and, and you know, we've... What about you? I mean, some of you I know are awesome at prioritizing people because I, I still learn from you. And I'm just amazed at people that I can see, you know, it doesn't matter what they're doing, they'll drop anything for anybody. And some of y'all just are, are teaching me stuff on this still yet. But I think most of us would say we'd have room to grow on that, you know, that it's, that it's kind of a hard thing to figure out. And especially when we look at, at Jesus' example, as we're going to in just a second, it's, it challenges you. It, it's convicting. And you say, how does he do that? And sometimes you see people that you know, and you say, how do they do that? How do they always have time to be an encouragement, to, to be there when people need them? They've valued people. And, and what would people say of us as a church? When it comes to something like that, you know, I mean, I think I think we're a friendlier than average church. I think that you know, but of course, I don't know that my opinion counts. 
<laughs> being as, as I'm the pastor, but you know, I, think, I think we're pretty good at that. But who are we comparing ourselves, who are we measuring ourselves up to? You know, are we comparing ourselves to other churches we've been at? Or are we comparing ourselves to Jesus? And what should the standard be? So here at Cypress Street, let it be said that people matter here. And nobody valued people, all people, the way Jesus did. We could think of a hundred examples. I'm going to just touch on several that I thought of as, as I was preparing for this. But, man, I mean, just everywhere that Jesus went, there were interruptions. There were people that needed something, people... People, people, and he always had time, took time for people. Even if it meant that he'd have to stay up all night to have some time alone in prayer, he prioritized people. You might say people were the agenda for Jesus. There was the time that Jesus was teaching and in, a, in a building and, and the crowd was so intense that Nobody could get through. And, and so these guys broke through the roof and lowered a guy in, right? In front of Jesus. And he didn't say, what are you doing? Get back in line. Can't you see I'm teaching here? I'm kind of in the middle of a thought here. I'm on point two of three points. And you just drop this guy in front of me. No. You just took time for him. There was another time where a, a man came and said, my daughter is dying. Can you come and Jesus is going. And even as he goes, and I mean, you know, drop everything and go. Even as he's going, a lady who was sick touched his, just the hem of his garment. And he felt power go out and heal her. And he stopped everything. Even on the way to this dying girl. And took time for that woman. Who had needed help as well. And when he got to the girl, she had already died. But Jesus wasn't too worried about it. He said, she just fell asleep. And he had time to raise her back to life. There was the time that a blind man started calling out to Jesus as they were going by. And the disciples and whoever all was there then basically just told him, shut up. He doesn't have time for you. And Jesus stops the procession. He says, bring that man over here. Absolutely, I have time for him. He valued people. How did he do it? You know, he's walking along and, and the crowd's again so intense that a, a short guy climbs a tree, right? And Jesus just stops and says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come spend some time in your house today. That'd be all right. It didn't matter who it was. It could be a prominent person like Nicodemus, a teacher of the law and sitting on the Sanhedrin, the leadership of, of Israel's Spiritual leadership, kind of their spiritual leadership team. And, and so the prominent man in Israel. Or, or a guy that all we know is, he's, he was called a rich young ruler, but rich and ruler, he's of some importance, right? It could be someone important like them, and Jesus takes time for them. It could be someone that was of least importance to that society. And Jesus stopped and took time for them. Maybe it was like, uh, when Mary wanted to sit at Jesus' feet 
like she was one of the disciples. And, and Martha, her sister, working in the kitchen saying, why don't you tell her to get in here and do what she's supposed to be doing, you know? What society expects a woman to do. She's breaking social norms by sitting at your feet as if she's one of the men, one of the disciples learning from you, uh, instead of being in the kitchen where I am and doing the work that we're supposed to be doing. And Jesus says, I'm fine with her being here, spending time with me. Or whether it's people like lepers that no one wanted to touch. Jesus was okay with it. Prostitutes, tax collectors, Roman soldiers who were seen as the oppressors, sinners of every kind, wealthy, the poor, you name it. He had time for people. So when we talk about the core values of Cypress Street, maybe we could say this, that we, are, we stand ready to love anybody since the gospel is for everybody. And Jesus showed us that in a living example that's been passed down to us from generation to generation in the ancient documents we call gospels. And we read, just read, the, I challenge you, go and just start reading the life of Jesus. And with the, through the lens of just seeing how he interacts with people. And be challenged by it. And sometimes I scratch my head, you know, it's, being in, in ministry, you know, sometimes when we, when a group of pastors get together and, and you know, start commiserating, you know, about the woes of ministry, everyone, you know, talks about their, the trials of their jobs, right? And, uh, you know, inevitably it's, boy, it's just people always, you know, there's no time of the day, no time of the night, and people might call and need you, you know, and, it, and imagine that, how it would be magnified for Jesus. I mean, just the crowds that would follow him around. It didn't matter if they were grieving and trying to find a spot to grieve. The crowds would follow him there. They could find him anywhere. But every time, I mean, the disciples would even be saying, Lord, send them home. And he said, no, you feed them. (laughs) Feed them something. Just always had time for people. And so probably, chances are, if you're like me and that's something that uh, you're not as good at, as uh, Jesus at, <laughs> then it probably is a little bit convicting at times when you start thinking about times where you didn't take time for someone who needed you to take some time. That there's regrets there. Hmm. So maybe this doesn't even need saying, but we just say that for the, for the people of God, for the people who say that we're following Christ, we should be ashamed when we're too busy to take time for people. When we're too busy doing church to take time for people. You know, when we prioritize keeping the facility immaculate over serving people, or when we say, you know, no, we've got, a, we've got these, this program is the priority, not the people that it's trying to serve. People get that mixed up all the time. Shame on us when we take 
time for our kind of people, but not the kind of people that aren't our kind of people, right? When we'll bend over backwards for someone who can do something for us, but we're slow to take time for someone who can do nothing for us. In fact, they may need something for, from us. You know, we should be ashamed if we're ever too busy for the sinner, but not for the saint. <laughs> or for the rich, but not for the poor. If we have time for people who are socially misfits, we should have time for them too. Hmm. Maybe it boils down to we should have time for everybody, but especially the ones no one else has time for. Because that's the ones that Jesus seemed to have a special heart for. You know, you might say he didn't play favorites, but in a sense he did play favorites. His favorites were everyone else's least favorites. If, if society told them that they were worthless, Jesus told them that they had worth. And perhaps that's a good segue to the next value that kids matter here. And when we look at Jesus, the story that we read just a few moments ago, where, where Jesus... It's the whole thing where the kids are coming to him. You know, it's a, it's a story we love to tell. If you're around church very much, or especially around children's ministry or anything like that, Jesus and the little children, right? It's a story we love to tell how Jesus made time for them. How they were special to his heart. And I, I think this is just a perfect example of Jesus taking time for someone that other people in their society just didn't take time for. And I feel sorry for his disciples. I really do. Jesus' disciples probably went to bed some nights thinking, we can never get it right. <laughs> we can never get it right. Because all the time Jesus is just doing stuff that doesn't fit into their world. You know, it's like he's from another planet or something. <laughs> he doesn't get their system. In, in, a, in a culture that had kind of, I mean, I don't, maybe you're familiar with the caste system of India. You know, where it's a clear, you know, you're here or you're here or you're here and your importance is clearly labeled, everyone knows. Uh, his society was a lot like that. There was a clear pecking order of who mattered most and who mattered least. And Jesus was always messing with it. And so that made it hard for the disciples to keep up with what in the world he was up to next. You know, like the time that he was at the, they were in Samaria, bad enough. And the disciples go into the town to get something. When they come back, what's Jesus doing? He's talking to a Samaritan. Not only that, she's a woman. <laughs> and you can almost hear him coming back. And they're like, we can't leave this guy alone for a second. <laughs> and this is another one of those cases where Jesus' disciples, they're, they're there with him. And, and these parents start bringing their kids. And Jesus is hanging out with their kids. And the disciples are thinking, are you kidding me? Of all the things that we could be doing with our time, you know, to get the kingdom moving forward. We're on a mission here and we're taking time out to babysit kids. Parents, get a grip. He doesn't have time to babysit your kids. This is basically what Jesus overhears him saying. 
And when he hears it, we're told he was indignant. Sometimes we cultivate this picture of Jesus as just this big teddy bear, you know. But he had emotions that he often wore on his sleeve. He wasn't just disappointed or a little frustrated. He was indignant. He had the disciples saying, uh-oh. <laughs> it was Peter's idea, right? <laughs> Blame it on him. We got it wrong again. Oh. Here's what Jesus said. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And what did he do? He took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them. I can only imagine that for Jesus... It was probably pretty frustrating working with hard-headed, thick-hearted, hard-hearted kind of adults day in and day out. In fact, sometimes you read in the Gospels and it's pretty obvious. He's like, how long will I put up with you? <laughs> And how refreshing it must have been for him to sit down with children who were anything but hard-hearted. And how refreshing for the children. I can only imagine that in a society that paid them little mind, in a society where they were expected to you know, maybe be seen... <laughs> not heard, in which especially the important adults never had time for them to encounter one like Jesus. Like an important teacher, celebrity that was taking time for them. Taking them in his arms, blessing them, praying for them. What that must have felt like. When we talk about the core values of Cypress Street Church of God, may it also be evident that, that we will bet the farm on the next generation. I would love it if we became known as a church that would bet the farm on the next generation. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Let's not make the mistake of thinking that any Adult ministry is more important than children's ministry and youth ministry. Who has a more tender heart than, than a child does? Nobody. And that's one of the reasons why working with kids and with youth is such a rewarding experience. Challenging, I'm not saying it's not challenging. But man, the rewards are higher too than in any other kind of ministry that you might do. I'm thankful 
that this church has been so dedicated. Dedicated to children and to youth especially. Dedicated enough to give above and beyond to a, a special designated fund so that we can hire and, and keep a youth pastor. And, you know, a lot of churches our size might not be able to do that, but we've prioritized that. And, and people give sacrificially to make that happen. But we're also going to have to prioritize our children's ministries too. And that's something that the budget committee is going to have to slowly work towards is moving more dollars, more dollars to the children's ministry because our, our, our little kids, the children, they're not doing fundraisers, right? They're not raising money for the stuff that they need to do and, and there's no special fund set up at this point for anything to do with them. And so we're going to have to make sure that we don't leave them out as well because the little children matter a lot. <laughs> so I'm thankful for a church that's been so generous on, for ministry and kids and youth, but we've got to continue to prioritize it. And not only with our giving, but with our time. And I just want to say to you that, not that I'm foreseeing anyone calling you this week or anything, but if someone ever calls you and says, will you help us serve in children's ministry? Or will you help us serve in youth ministry? That you not just hang up the phone immediately. <laughs> all right, But give it, a time, give it a chance. Pray about it at the least and think about it. Maybe even just dive in and try it. And you might find out, not for me. <laughs> We've had people here that have done that. You know, they gave it a fair shot and said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just can't do it. But give it a shot because it's so important that we invest in kids. And I just want to, here's a disclaimer for you because sometimes I just feel like I have to give disclaimers before things get too warped out of context or something. I'm always afraid I'm going to mess it up somehow and everyone's going to come away thinking something that I didn't mean for them to be thinking I was thinking. So let me just give this disclaimer. I'm not saying that we put kids up on an unhealthy pedestal, you know, and, and I feel like our society kind of has two extremes going right now. You know, you either have the people that neglect and abuse children or, or the people who set them up on such a high pedestal and wrap their whole lives around these kids that, and neither one's good for the kid, right? I mean, obvious with the neglect thing and with the other deal, you know, you're putting a pressure on them that they weren't designed to hold, you know. It's not good. And so we're not talking about that, but we're, what we're talking about is, is prioritizing the, an investment of the gospel into our kids, the children and the youth, and college-age kids, too. We'll call them kids until they've got a job or something, right? <laughs> but we invest in them because we know, I mean, all of us know, I don't need to pull up statistics for you, do I? We all know that a person's likelihood of accepting Christ as their Savior does not increase as they get older, right? <laughs> their heart doesn't become softer as they get older. Their mind doesn't get opened as they get older. It gets closed, right? We all know this. We see this. We see it in ourselves. We see it all around us. 
So we're going to value people here, and we're especially going to value kids. We can't afford not to. Just a closing kind of thought as we begin to wrap this up is if we're not investing the gospel of Jesus into the lives of the people around us who need it the most, then what in the world are we doing? Right? We've got to be about this. About Jesus first, people second. If we're going to be in this whole church business. All right? There was once, long ago, in a church far, far away, there was a family who found this young girl, elementary age, in their neighborhood. I think she was friends with their daughter. And they started bringing her to church. And she liked it, so she kept coming and kept coming. And then that family that was bringing her, they got up and they had to move. The job transferred, they left. But by then the girl was hooked on coming to church and the church was hooked on her coming to church. And, and so another family went like way out of their way to pick her up and bring her to church each week. And they'd bring her, bring her, bring her. And she grew up and, and she came from kind of a uh, somewhat, I don't know, dysfunctional kind of family. It wasn't the best. And, but you know, by her junior and senior year, she was, had managed to drag her mom to church and, and her mom was dragging her boyfriend. And, and it was... An interesting phenomenon, you know? Usually you think of parents dragging their kids to church. But this girl dragged her parents to church. Now that girl is in the army and still shining her light for Jesus, whether it's doing worship ministry and chapel services or, uh, you know, when she goes through something tough. Just the other day I saw she was posting scripture about scriptures that she was leaning on in that tough time of her life and just being a witness there. And I still don't know what all the future, obviously, none of us can know that, uh, holds for her. But consider, is it not possible that someday that girl that someone decided to invest in a long time ago might have a family of her own and that she might take her kids to church instead of her kids having to take her to church. And is it possible then that a, that a whole family tree might have been completely changed because a church was willing to invest in a child? What could happen if we stand ready to love anybody and if we chose to bet the farm on the next generation, what would be possible? What difference might we make? Hmm. Who could you invest in this week? Do you know any kids that need someone to invest in them with the love of Christ? Do you know some adults that could use your attention and encouragement this week? Who could you invest in this week? Let's stand and let's pray. Father.
Thank you for loving us so deeply. We see it written all over the face of Jesus when we read about his life and his ministry. We pray your forgiveness for the times that we haven't loved others in turn as you've first loved us and as you've taught us to do and called us to do. Holy Spirit, we're going to need your help in a big way if our love for people is going to reflect the way Jesus prioritized people. Help us get there, Lord, so the world may know that you love them too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.